one of the Sundays that he was on vacation. Uh, and I said, you got one Sunday a year, so use it wisely. No, I, <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. Um, and usually I like to take a few days and pray, uh, pray about it, and uh, God, what do you want me to speak, which is wise. That's how you're supposed to approach something like this. Uh, and the next morning I'm doing my daily devotion. I'm going through Deuteronomy, and um, I'm taking it nice and slow because I have a little bit of um, numbers lag. You get through numbers, and you're kind of dragging, like, oh, and it's so struggle to get through. Um, so I'm going through Deuteronomy, and um, chapters like 8 through 11 were just hitting hard. Uh, and that's uh, Moses is giving a, final, a couple final speeches um, before the Israelites get to enter into the promised land. And uh, he says, I love God with everything you have. Uh, you didn't earn any of this, and uh, give him everything you got. Obey everything he says. Uh, and basically, the whole book of Deuteronomy, the idea is obedience. God, if you obey, God's going to take care of you. If you disobey, you got some bad stuff coming. Um, and uh, that next morning, I was expecting a week of prep and prayer and consideration. It was love God with your heart, mind, soul. And I'm like, that's it. So uh, I, I took a couple weeks and I'm praying. I don't just want to jump on the first thing that sticks out. I mean, I'm like, all right, God, what do you, and it just kept popping up. Love God with your heart, mind, soul. Love God. Love God with everything you got. Um, so I'm like, all right, God, here we go. And then last week, what does Marcus preach on? Love. 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I haven't talked to Marcus in months, so it's a God thing. Uh, so I started attending Brown Corners Church coming up on 20 years ago. Uh, whew, I'm old. Thank you. Uh, I was about six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, and over the years, I was thinking about where we've sat in the sanctuary. Uh, so, like, I think we started out in the back corner over there. Uh, I remember one season of life we were over here. Uh, I think it must have been a holiday, like Easter or Christmas, because uh, I was wearing like a shirt and tie, and I don't do that very often. Um, but it sticks out because as I sat down and we're like doing church stuff, church service stuff, the, the person behind me taps on my shoulder, which you don't do. When you, when I was like 10 years old. Taps on my shoulder, and I'm like freaking out because a strange man's talking to me. Uh, and he, he says, and he like reaches behind my collar and pulls out a piece of cardboard. <laughs> and he says, happens to all of us, kid. Uh, uh, I remember children's ministry uh, during Christmas time uh, and Chris trying to rally all the kids with those handbells. That was a struggle. I, uh, there's a reason I'm not in children's ministry and it's because I was a terrible child um, and don't want to have to work with handbells. Uh, I remember youth group growing up. Uh, back in the day it was called Wild Kingdom um, and it was down the children's hallway where they do like the pre-K and the women's thing. One side was like games and stuff. The other side was where we'd do like the message and what have you. Uh, and we had, and we still have it, but the Papa Shot basketball game. And Moose was relentless. I'm pretty sure I went home crying at least a dozen times because Moose would just not let me beat him in this stupid basketball game. Um, and then we had youth group in like this industrial building, and it was the coolest thing ever. Um, and then shortly thereafter, we got the Route 28 wing. So I, I've been around through a lot of church stuff. Uh, and I, I can say I've been in church my whole life. Uh, but that was the only time I ever really thought about 
God. And if I'm honest, uh, growing up, most of my thoughts at church uh, were, when can I leave? Uh, because it, it wasn't an interest to me. Um, I never talked about faith stuff at school because it wasn't cool to be a Christian. And that's really all I cared about was what other people thought about me. Um, so that really encompassed the, my focus for the first 18, 19 years of my life. Uh, then I got a job at Wendy's. Uh, and I hated it, I, but I needed a job because you get in high school, you get a car, you got to pay for the car, uh, so I needed income, got a job at Wendy's, and didn't like it at all. I love Wendy's, by the way. Uh, the 4 for 4 is the best deal in fast food, and no, I'm not getting paid to say that. Uh, I wish I were, but uh, got a job, and I was the fryer guy, so I was in charge of, like, fries and chicken nuggets and chicken patties and then cleaning the fryer. Uh, and that was the worst part, because you got this big, long tray of hot grease, and there's this, like, four-inch filter just coated, and you got to throw it away, and you got to wear these shoulder-length gloves that are about 17 inches thick. It was miserable. Caitlin knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so I hated this, and my mom would pick me up, because although I had my license, I couldn't drive the car yet, because I didn't have money. So my mom would pick me up, and I would be crying, begging her, Mom, let me quit my job. And she would say, one of the wisest things she could ever say, not until you have another job lined up. So, kids, students, I'll tell you this, if you hate your job, that's okay. Sometimes you've got to have a job you don't like to learn grit and stuff. But always have another job lined up. I'm looking at most, a bunch of students that are just kind of like collected right there. And they all have, most of them have jobs. So, Trent, don't quit Taco Bell unless you've got something else lined up. Uh, <laughs> so... I, but every time she'd pick me up, Mom, let me quit, Mom, let me quit, Mom, let me quit, not until you have something else lined up. Uh, and then she said one day, she's like, well, so I'm applying everywhere. I really wanted a job at Ace Hardware, and I didn't even get an interview, so I was kind of bummed about that. But she suggested, why don't you try and work at camp? Camp Living Waters is a camp that I had gone to years prior. And I said, all right, well, uh, on their website it said they, had, they were hiring, like, laundry people and I can't even handle my own laundry, um, so I don't want to do other people's. Uh, then there was kitchen help, uh, and at this point in life, I could only make uh, mac and cheese and uh, pancakes, and that's the only, just the add water kind, so the Easy Mac and whatever, Bisquick, I don't know. You don't want me cooking food. Uh, still to this day, probably not a good idea to have me cook your food, but I've escalated. Now I can do hamburgers if they're the frozen pre-cooked ones. Um, but, so then they had a maintenance assistant. I'm like, I am the least handy person you could find, but it's better than kitchen and laundry and definitely better than Wendy's. So I applied, um, and I ended up getting the job. It was really cool because I did stuff like uh, lawn care, weed whip, mowing. We, first time ever I worked on a farm, and we did hay. Uh, also, the last time I worked on a farm and did hay. Uh, but one of the first things I noticed at camp is because at this point in my faith, in my walk with God, I'm still not really into it. I'm not feeling it. I believe that God probably exists and that maybe he uh, cares about me, but I'm just one person. He probably doesn't, probably doesn't care about me too much. Uh, definitely not about what I do with each and every day. But one of the first things I noticed about the staff at camp was they were my age. We were all, I was 17 at the time, so we were all that 17 to 22 
leaving high school, entering college age, and they were on fire. They knew this God that they were worshiping and this God that they were talking to campers about. Um, and that was, it was, we had similar experiences in that we all grew up, or most of us grew up going to church, but their experiences with God were different. Um, and it's because their focus was different. Uh, about halfway through the summer, um, God really started to grab a hold of my heart. And he said, hey, I'm here. I love you. I want you. Uh, and then I started to ask some questions of, what do you mean? All right, if, this, if you are real, what does that mean for me? What do you want from me? Um, and obviously, to find answers about God, you go to the source. So I went to Scripture. And there were a few times where Jesus himself was asked this very question, what does God want from me? And the first time we see this question being asked is in Matthew 22. Uh, and so I'm just going to read it. You've heard it a million times. It's, we refer to it as the greatest commandment. But Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, says, But the, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. Love your, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So uh, we see Mark has a similar account. Mark's talking about the same experience. And Mark paints a little, his tone's a little different. See, Matthew kind of paints it as this guy's trying to test Jesus, whereas at the end of the conversation in Mark, uh, the guy kind of seems like, all right, I learned something with this conversation with Jesus. So uh, whatever your feelings on the tone is, we're going to say he test in Matthew, he's testing him. And I just think the Pharisees, because we see all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees are trying to test and trap Jesus. They're trying to get him to say something um, heretical so they can kill him, and eventually they do, but spoiler alert, he raises from the dead. Um, talk about that in a little bit. But so this expert, this Pharisee, he's an expert of the law, and he says, which, we have 613 laws. Which is the greatest? Which one kind of captures them all? Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then in Mark's account, Mark adds strength. So with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. Second commandment, just like the first. And the, on these two commandments depend all the law. If you master these two, you won't have to worry about the other 611. So what does God want from us? The answer is twofold. I just said it. He wants us to love him holistically with everything we have and to love our neighbor. So to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is not easy. Uh, I did a bunch of studying this week, uh, a lot of Greek and all this stuff that I never, uh, in high school, never would have thought that I would understand a little bit of Greek. I don't understand a lot of Greek. Whew. But when he says love, we're talking about like 100% everything we have. And we're going to, one, one guy compared it to percentages. 
Uh, and this love of God that we're talking about is 100%. And it's so hard for us to master. Um, but the things we're talking about, going to be talking about today, mind, soul, strength, heart, that's between you and God. I cannot sit here, I can't have a conversation with you over a cup of coffee and tell you if you're loving God with all of your heart. I can't tell you if you're loving God with all of your strength. Strength's a tricky one because that can be faked. We can, I, I went to church for the first 17, 18, 19 years of my life, and people would have said, oh yeah, he's, he's a Christian. I don't think I was because my heart didn't reflect. Actually, I can tell you straight up, I wasn't. I was not a believer. Our heart speaks more volume than our mouth when it comes to matters of faith. Um, so what does this love look like? It's, it's loving God with everything. Uh, with where our heart's desire is, that's where we're at. That's what we're talking about here. So part of this is looking at idols. What do we worship? Do we worship our cell phones, our social media stuff? Facebook has been crazy with this COVID stuff, right? What about our jobs? It is so easy. When I was working at Cranhill, so I was at Cranhill for about five years, um, which is a Christian ministry. They do camps, conferences, all that stuff. Um, and I worshipped my job. I worshipped the ministry that I was doing, not the guy that we were doing ministry for, not the God that we were doing ministry for. Um, so I got so caught up in my work. I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I was skipping church for months on end. I was not, my heart was not speaking the faith that I should have been, or I wasn't communicating anyway. My priorities were off. How many times do we worship relationships that we're in? And we don't honor God with our hearts, with our actions, with our desires. That's what we're talking about today. Um, and I want to be clear, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength isn't to totally abandon these things. It's to shift your priorities. Yes, you should have a job, especially if you want stuff like a house and food and a car. But you should not worship said job. Yes, you should care about people. And you should love your wife. And you should take care of your children. However, if you're worshiping your wife or your children, you need to shift your priorities. We love God with all our hearts by managing our expectations for our life and managing our priorities properly, which is tough because uh, in America, it's, everything's pretty much about us. Uh, I can get what I want, when I want, as long as I have enough time and money. Uh, the, I've really been struggling because I have not had Taco Bell in about four months or KFC because that line is always way too long for me. And my I want a whatever chicken quesadilla is really struggling. That's my pride, my selfishness, my personal desires. So I've had to settle for a lot of Wendy's four for fours, which I've tacked on a little bit of COVID pounds. Uh, but we're pulled in so many different directions with our time, with our money. Time is, whew, time can be an idol in and of itself. Uh, if we're stingy with our time. See, the thing is, God is really good about pointing out where we need to work. Uh, if, it's, if you don't have any time, like uh, one of the things I always hear from students is, I don't have time to read my Bible. All right, how many hours did you spend on TikTok last night before bed? Uh, I get it from uh, parents 
I don't really get this often from parents, but there's this, parents don't really, uh, and this is general generality, this isn't you guys specifically, it's the other parents. Uh, they don't really pour into the spiritual lives of their children. It's, we're going to drop the kids off at church, you make them a Christian, and then I'll pick them up after work. Oh, it just got really quiet. I'm sorry. I, if I offended you with that, I apologize. But maybe that's something that you need to work on. The, the home, your family, is your primary area of ministry. Uh, before you volunteer at Children's Church, before you volunteer at uh, women's ministry functions, you got to take care of your house. If you're not loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength as it pertains to your family, you're not going to do it as it pertains to other people. Um, so if you've had your priorities skewed, that's okay. You can, what I like to say with the students, is hit the reset button. Flip a switch. Uh, I love Peter in the Bible because Peter and I relate on a lot of things. Um, we are both prideful people. And we both think and act like we know more than we do and that we're better than we are. So we love God holistically. Uh, oh, sorry, I skipped the love your neighbor as yourself. That's a really important one, too. Jesus says the most important commandment is what? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is where we struggle a little bit. Because it's easy for us to say, yeah, I love God with everything. I'm in church every Sunday. I do a 15-minute daily devotional every day. I won't get on the 15-minute devotional tangent, but you kind of got to be in the Bible a little bit more than 5, 10 minutes a day. But regardless, uh, we can check boxes and feel good about it. But then we get on Facebook and we see that somebody uh, posted something about some political person or some store that makes you wear a mask, holy moly, and it's chaos. And we don't love our neighbor in those moments. My biggest time that I don't love my neighbor is right about 12.05 as I'm driving down that Burger Hill strip trying to get lunch and somebody cuts me off. It feels like every other day is national let's cut Hunter off day. And I'm already hangry because I didn't eat breakfast that morning. I don't love that neighbor because I can't put a face to their GMC Acadia. It's just some person that cut me off. It's really easy for us to forget that that person who just did a boneheaded thing is a child of God. And we're supposed to love them. It's really easy when we're typing away on some mad Facebook post, which I, if you follow me on Facebook, or if we're friends on Facebook, you've seen, I can get in on that action too. But it's easy to look at that screen and say, that's not a person, this is a screen, and I'm going to tell them what I feel. And in those moments, oftentimes, the first thing that goes is the whole love your neighbor thing. Jesus didn't have Facebook, but he talked a whole lot about how we're supposed to treat people. Um, and sometimes we don't do the greatest job with it. Myself included, look at my Facebook posts. It's the golden rule. We're talking about treat others the way you want to be treated. If you encounter a situation that isn't very fair, somebody cuts you off when you're just, I was, I was only going 60. I probably wasn't speeding. that. I wasn't speeding that much. Uh, all right, I don't speed. 
boss man, I don't speed. Uh, but how we react, our, see, here's the thing. Our hearts aren't revealed when things are good and when things are easy. Our hearts are revealed when we face opposition. Our hearts are revealed when that person cuts us off and you, your horn doesn't work. Um, our hearts are revealed when somebody has a different position than us on some political issue or social issue, and we voice that. Whew, this is tough. This, I am just as guilty of all of this as anyone. But society ca caters to the self-love. I talked about it a little bit. Everything's about us. Uh, I, was I had a conversation with a guy I uh, worked with at camp uh, several years ago about the college situation in our country. And I'm not going to talk about much other than universities cater to the students. They're built around the students. And when you have everything from K-12 to college, university, all about you, when you get into the world, real world, what happens? Everything's about you. So when we look at matters of faith, and we've just had the last 20 years of our mind pounded in, or of our life, pounded, you can be whatever you want. You can get anything you want. You can have whatever you want. And then Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. We're going to have some conflict. Those are conflicting statements. But we need to manage our expectations and manage our priorities. And we do this by daily running after God in our devotions, in our Bible studies, in our fellowship with believers. We need to be running after God. And if we jump over to Luke, there's another expert kind of talking about all of this stuff. Uh, and he says, uh, he has a different question, but it's kind of the same thing. What do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And then uh, Jesus says, well, what does the law say? The law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So then he says, trying to justify that, oh, yeah, I do all that. I'm good. He says, who's my neighbor? He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We've all heard it at one point or another. Guy walking down the street gets jumped, beat up by a bunch of thugs, and uh, leave, uh, a priest walks by. Supposed to be following God, loving God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving his neighbor as himself. Walks, right, walks to the other side of the road. See ya. Levite, same thing. Someone who's supposed to, like, super love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Walks to the other side of the road. See ya. Because that guy was beat up. That guy was messy. How many times do Christians walk to the other side of the street because somebody's messy? Samaritan, who's supposed to be this guy's enemy. Their society says Samaritans are scum. Don't touch them. Don't go near them. Same thing on the other side. Samaritans see Israel. That guy is scum. Get him out of here. He's messy, like super messy. But he drops everything. He was on his way somewhere, doing something, drops everything, cleans the guy up, takes him to the motel, says, here's this guy, here's some money, I'm going to come back in a little bit, and I'll pay his tab. Keep him for however long he needs it, care for him. That guy sacrificed a lot of self. He denied a lot of self to take care of that guy. And that is what Jesus is saying, that we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to love our neighbors. Uh, Excuse me. So who's your neighbor? It's likely the person or the people group that society, that your, peop that your people groups are telling you to hate. Who are your Samaritans? Who are the people that 
uh, you're not supposed to associate with because they live in a certain area or they sin in a certain way. Who are those people for you? That's your neighbor, and that's who you need to love. Uh, so back to Peter. So I'm driving uh, to Mount Pleasant on Tuesday, and I'm just thinking and praying, all right, God, got this coming up. Uh, help me out. Flesh, what do you want me to say? Anything extra? I kind of got uh, outline done. Where do you want me to go now? And he reminded me of John, a uh, situation Jesus uh, was about to be taken. They're, in, they're doing the whole Last Supper thing, right? And we're going to do communion in a minute, so we get to kind of experience that. We're going to talk about it. And Jesus says, well, some stuff's going to happen. Some stuff's going to go down. And Peter, you're going to have some issues with me. You guys are all going to scatter. Peter says, I'm not going to go nowhere. I'm going to outlast all these other people, and I'm going to be here till the very end. And Jesus says, Peter, in the next, like, day and a half, you're going to deny me three times. What? I'll never deny you. I'll die before I deny you. Peter, you're going to deny me uh, three times before the rooster crows. Not happening. Uh, then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus is about to be taken away. He says this again, Peter, you're going to deny me, blah, 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 blah. What happens? Peter denies Jesus three times. Then Jesus dies. Peter, uh, well, he heard the rooster crow, and then some other stuff happens, and Jesus dies. Peter feels miserable the second he hears that rooster crow. He's ashamed. He's embarrassed. Jesus was right, which he always is. But So Peter's in a pretty bad spot. Um, Jesus has died. He rose from the dead, and he had appeared to the disciples and a bunch of other people. Um, so Peter knows, but he's like sheep, sheepishly kind of, doing stuff, living life. Uh, and then they're fishing. They're fishing all, all night long, not really getting much. This is in John 21. Uh, and they see this guy on shore says, oh, cast to the other side of the boat, which every time I'm not catching fish, I cast to the other side of the boat because Jesus said so, and it doesn't always work. So I just need to fish differently or stop fishing, one of the two. But he says, cast to the other side of the boat, and they do, and they catch all this fish. And John says, hey, it's Jesus. And Peter, huh, it is. Throws on his cloak, jumps in the water, runs up to Jesus as fast as he could. Um, so they're cooking, some, they're cooking this fish. They're having breakfast, and Jesus is talking to Peter. And now, like I said, Peter was in pretty rough shape for these last few days. And Jesus uh, is, like, it, during the Last Supper, he's like, I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to outlast everybody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for you. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're going to deny me. Well, he did. But Peter, thinking he's Mr. Perfect, had experienced a massive amount of humility in the preceding days. Uh, so Jesus talks to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And this, he's, this holistic, this 100%. There, there was an expert dude, genius guy, commentary, um, who, is, who compared it to percentages, right? And he said, this is 100% number one priority. You will die for me. Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds with, well, Lord, I, you, I, I love you. Yes, you know I love you. But he used a different word for love. See, we, in English, we have one word with many meanings, and in Greek, they would have several words with different meanings, right? So love, when Peter responds, he says, yeah, God, you know that I love you, but with like a 60% kind of love, 
because he was just destroyed, his pride was demolished. He says, I love you really 60%. So Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, do you love me 100%? And every time Peter says, yes, you know I do, Jesus says, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. So here's where I got a new understanding this week. The third time Jesus asks, he uses Peter's word. Jesus Jesus says, Peter, do you love me 60%? Peter says, yes, you know that I do. But his confidence was shot. He had made some pretty bold claims. He had said, I Love, I've been with you for three years. I will die for you. I've been in church since I was six years old. Of course I love you. I will do anything for you. Well, Peter, you didn't prove it. Your actions didn't back up what your words are saying. Your heart doesn't reflect it. See, sometimes we're the same way. Our actions don't reflect what we're saying or doing. Whoops, that was backwards. Anyway. Peter's heart was that he loved Jesus, but his actions weren't reflecting that. Sometimes his head got in the way of his heart. And he failed very recently, very miserably, multiple times, in a short amount of time. And sometimes I'm a lot like Peter. I get bullheaded, especially when it comes to, like, things I feel very strongly about. Uh, So just on Facebook, you see some of my views I'm very strong about. Um, And I fail miserably to show this kind of love that I'm called to show. So I'm like, Peter, well, God, I know you want 100% from me, but I feel like I uh, like I love you 60%. Because that other 40%, well, I got hunting season coming up, so I might miss a Sunday or two for that. Uh, I just got a friend who just got a new boat, so we got to go bust that out. Uh, I got all these things vying for my time. So uh, 60%. But what's important to understand is that Jesus saw Peter's 60% love and went down to his level because he knew that Peter, in the moment, right then and there, was not capable of that 100% love. He knew that life had thrown Peter some pretty crazy curveballs, and Peter was beat up, and he was hurting. And in that moment, he was not capable of that 100% love. And, And Jesus said, that's okay, Peter. I'll come to where you're at because I love you. And because you will one day be to that 100%. So I'll love you where you're at, and you work on it, basically. And then he says, feed my sheep. So God, when we ask, what does God want from us? He wants our everything. He wants 100% of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he wants us to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. In Philippians, Paul says, treat others more significantly than yourself. Consider the needs of others as well. Consider the interests of others as well. Humble yourself, Philippians 2. Um, So we need to know that when we are seeking God, seeking God first, it's with everything we have. It's with our jobs. It's how we interact with people online. It's how we treat people who cut us off when we were going under the speed limit. It's our hearts, it's our mind, it's our soul, and our strength. Um, So, love God, 
love your neighbor, feed his sheep, serve him, run after him. Your actions should match your words, and your words should match your heart. If you say that you love God, it's going to be reflected in your actions. And, th- and if you're only at that 60% capability, that's okay. God can meet you right where you're at and get you to that 100%. He wants you to love him with everything you have. And we look all throughout, I'm, like I said, I'm reading Deuteronomy, and it says if you, if you love him, if you obey him, you will get the blessings. And it's not going to be like you're going to be rich. It's going to look different for everybody. But God will honor your faithfulness because that's who he is. The hard part is we don't really change much on our own. I'm very different today than I was in high school. And that's not because of me and what I've done. It's about what God has done in me and through me. I still, every day, struggle with pride. I walk in the door and they're like, hey, Andrew, clapping for me. Totally jacks up my Sunday because... No, you just made it about me. All right, fine. I'm so great. No. Every day, take up your cross. Every day, repent. Confess, God, I dropped the ball today. Forgive me. Change my heart. Help me to do better tomorrow. And when he tells you to move, move. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. And we don't deserve the level of goodness that that you give us, God. You, you love us. You shower us in love and blessings. And oftentimes we don't see it because we're so focused on self. God, help us to live this out. As believers in you, we've said that our life is yours. Everything we have is yours. So help us to love you and to love our neighbors with everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So don't leave yet. We got communion, which we, every Sunday, first Sunday of the month, we practice communion because of our faith. And we've looked at communion as, uh, like for me growing up, it was uh, once a month I get a snack during this thing, service thing I got to sit through. Awesome. Um, With this wafer thing, this cardboard styrofoam, not really a snack. So... Um, but sometimes we can get going through the motions, and I want to encourage you to approach this Sunday a little differently. If your priorities have been skewed, this is our time. We, we take communion in remembrance of Christ, to remember his work through the cross. We don't do this as a Sunday snack, especially not with these wafers. We don't do this as, as just another box to check, but because Christ died for you so that you could be in a relationship with him and spend eternity with him. So we do this to remember that. Uh, as we prepare to partake in communion, I forgot to mark my spot, but uh, we remember what he did, but we want to do so with pure hearts. So if your priorities have been skewed, if you've had some idols, you've been worshiping some uh, time or your job or whatever, your family, take some time to I always call it handle your business with God. Cast your burdens on him. Repent if repentance is needed. Um, And then I'll kind of close us in prayer. The worship team will come on up. and uh, You'll see like a natural rhythm. Uh, Come on up for communion. We do the benevolence offering for those in our church who who have needs. So if you feel led. But communion 
is something we do to remember Christ and what he did for us. And just as a disclaimer, remember these have two, there's one little small film thing for the styrofoam, uh, I mean wafer, and then the big tab is for the juice. Um, and so take it back to your seat. It's easier. It's easiest to like manage sitting down because it's a mess. Um, talk with God, handle your business, and then partake in communion. Uh, and then we'll worship as we close. But 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, Paul's talking to him. Paul, this is the Apostle Paul. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to partake in communion, and we're going to remember what Christ did for us. And we're going to remember, remember why we say, I'm a believer in God, and because of that, I'm going to love him with everything I have and love my neighbor. So I'll pray. We'll have a moment of silence for you to handle your business. Then I'll close, and we'll go for it. you are good to us. Way, way better than we deserve. I just want to thank you for sending your son to die so that we could have life. God, I pray that this isn't just some box that we check. This isn't some Sunday snack. But we're truly remembering the sacrifice that was made for us. We're truly seeking a deeper understanding of what that means in our daily lives. God, we love you. Help us to love you that 100%. God, thank you for sending Jesus. It's in his name we pray.
us to remember, Lord, is our reasonable sacrifice to also pick up our cross, to deny ourselves and to follow you. And we just pray that that be on our hearts this week. And show this lost and this dying world a Savior through what we say and what we do. Amen, church. Amen. We love you. Please go in the love of Christ. Be the hands and feet, amen.